This episode is dedicated to my little brother, Jeremiah, who is currently recovering from a near-death accident. If there's one thing I've learned from moving deeper into my work and purpose, it's that all activism is deeply rooted. It has an origination point, it's personal and impactful, and it's unshakably present in your life. I've always known that seeing my brothers and every single black man that experienced trauma was deeply, deeply personal to me and why I do the work that I do, especially when I would see things like Trayvon Martin and Ahmaud Aubrey and Tamir Rice, who, when I look at them, literally have a physical resemblance to my brothers. It's why I do what I do. It's part of my purpose. Uh, my brothers are a piece of who I am. And to Jeremiah, I stopped this podcast because almost losing you broke me. I never knew how deeply I loved you until this happened, and I still don't feel ready um, to come back onto the mic, but I'm starting to realize that I'll never be ready. You're the reason I stopped, and you are the reason I'm starting again. So let's start the show. Ooh. Ooh. I remember to undo that, babe. Yeah. <laughs> got purpose in your life, you feel me? All this love, all this time, all this purpose Why would you break my heart on purpose? But all that pain, it gave me purpose And now my heart is healing perfect I'm worth it, living life perfect With purpose on purpose And I know that makes them nervous But fuck that we got purpose. We got purpose. Oh yeah, we got purpose. First, I just have to say thank you so much for bearing with me through my sabbatical and for tuning back into this free game podcast. I really appreciate everyone who is tuning in. I'm going to go ahead and pay some bills really quickly. This free game podcast episode is sponsored by Honest Hive. Honest Hive is a black female-led marketing consultancy that specializes in consulting, coaching, and contracting. We built the hive for conscious brands that don't want to sacrifice ethics and morality for profit. Centralizing marginalized people is a lifestyle and it is the clear and present way forward to the health and healing within ourselves, our communities, our marketing practices, our businesses, and this nation. Visit honesthivemarketing.com to learn more. Okay, let's dig right in. So the first thing that I want to say and that I feel like is really important when it comes to this podcast is I didn't want it to come across as preachy. I didn't want to seem like some all-knowing being who was just imparting these nuggets of wisdom for the sake of imparting them on the masses or anything like that. I'm, I'm not elitist and I also know that it's important to share failures as well as successes and definitely I want to have a personal experience with anyone who is listening and possibly has had some similar experiences. When I talk to black women who have been in similar corporate situations and sometimes even outside of corporate America, just navigating the structure of whiteness, I've heard so many parallels in our stories that I felt like telling a story about what happened to me, one, would kind of open me up um, and, and basically show everyone that I'm talking to that I'm not perfect that I've experienced some hardship on this road to where I am and the learnings that I have truly come from personal experience, personal growth, and in my opinion, an ability to look as objectively as possible and to critique oneself 
while understanding the system in which you are being subjected to. So I say all that to say today I'm going to start the podcast off with a story. And it is actually the story of one of my previous positions. Uh, I'm not going to mention the employer, nor am I going to mention anyone by name. But for the sake of storytelling, I have given everybody different names in order to help people follow along and also just make the story flow a little bit better. So my previous position, uh, I've worked in marketing my entire career, so it's no secret uh, that this was a marketing position. And when I first started, I interviewed with, you know, a couple of people. It went really well. I got the position. I started. I was super excited. And I'm one of those people where I'm either great or I'm completely off and not happy and kind of a curmudgeon. So obviously, you know, when you start a position, your energy is on 10. You think you can do the job great. You're excited. You're meeting new people. And that was my energy. That was my energy for starting. And I had also told myself moving into this role that I was going to take all of the humbling experiences that had led me to this moment and be of service as best I could while still maintaining my expertise and being an asset to the team. So I say all that to say, I was happy (laughs) when I first got the job and I and I went into it kind of with excitement, I think the way that anybody does with a new position. And immediately upon um, moving into that position, I had a coworker and we'll just call her Karen because that's what she was acting like. (laughs) And uh, this Karen, who uh, I I didn't know previously and who I had kind of gotten to know, she was neither here nor there for me. I just, she was there and she existed and it was fine. She wasn't my direct boss, but I worked in partnership with Karen. So it wasn't like she was over me or had any direct authority. She just was in all the meetings I was in. We worked as partners. Everything was cool. One day I'm walking by the conference room and Karen is in with Jeff and Jeff is my actual direct uh, manager. He is the VP that I report to. So I'm walking by, Karen's in the conference room with Jeff and Karen basically just says, doesn't it seem like Kendra kind of has an attitude? Like she kind of like has an attitude and is mean and uh, has has a problem and talks kind of crazy to people and, and da 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 da. And as I'm walking by and hearing this, basically her conspiring against me I'm kind of like what the what because I know what it looks like for me to be in a position where I'm crusty and I'm mad and I'm I'm saying things out of turn and I just I just knew in that moment and I know for sure still retrospectively that that wasn't the truth Uh, It wasn't it wasn't a real experience. It was something that she was saying to plant a seed because I had made, I think, a very positive impression my first couple of months. Everybody around the office really liked me and everybody thought I was fun and funny. And I didn't come under her wing, I think, the way that she wanted me to. She really liked people to kiss the ring. And anybody who knows me on a personal level knows, you know, uh, Kendra don't bow down to nobody. Um, but the Lord God himself. So (laughs) it was one of those experiences where she was just there. Like I I didn't kiss the ring, but I also, I didn't treat her any worse or any better than anybody else. And I think that was part of the problem. I didn't treat her any better than anybody else. So when I heard her conspiring against me, I was just like, you know, okay, wow. I see, I see what I'm going to be dealing with here. They exist. It's always somebody. And I basically chalked it up to the game. I never addressed it. I just kind of like 
noted it in my head. And from there, it kind of grew. Um, she consistently harassed me in a plethora of different ways. She would gossip, she would spread untruths, she would roll her eyes behind me in meetings. And she had about 20 people who reported to her and I had one. And so to all the 20 people who report to her, she's rolling her eyes at me in meetings and kind of just undermining my intelligence. And it created kind of like a situation where people started to not respect me because she wasn't respecting me and she was doing so very publicly and, and aggressively. And when she talked to Jeff and when she was kind of in, she, she really did have Jeff's ear. They'd worked together for forever. And so what she did was to me akin to what a lot of slave masters wives would do, which was she didn't have any direct power. She didn't have a whip. She wasn't my boss. But she used her relationship in order to leverage the power that she had um, by knowing Jeff and by having a relationship with Jeff. She wielded that as leverage against me. And that's exactly what slave owners' wives would do when, let's say, the slave owner did what he always does, which is sneak out to the shed or wherever he, you know, wherever he houses the slaves, you know, he has sex with one, the wife gets jealous, she's not going to get an attitude with her husband, but she is going to basically leverage her authority and power over him and have him whip the slave or demean her in some kind of way to show her authority and power and show her influence. To me, it was a very, very similar situation to that. That's actually kind of a, um, a parallel to 12 Years a Slave. I'm not just making up that narrative. I'm kind of pulling from a movie, but you know what I mean? I think 12 Years a Slave was based on a true story. But anyways, it's based on true stories that happened. Anyways, so she was very, you know, aggressive and just harassing me and just was just doing things that I felt like were very, very unnecessary. I would give one directive, she would give another, there was a lot of confusion. And so I basically tried to address it with her directly. I would say, hey, I'm just asking for this and this to be the process so that it can be smooth and, and efficient. We don't have to have all of the discourse. You know, am I asking too much? Is it out of step? She would never speak to me. She actually, when I brought that to her, she kind of like just put her head down and shook her head no, like, no, it's not asking too much. And I was just like, okay, no problem. Like, well, then let's do that. And that way we're all on the same page. It only got worse from there. <laughs> so I kind of was like, okay, let me go to HR. Let me talk about what's happening because it is very directly impacting my work performance. And when I did that, when I went to HR, it was, you know, she had copious amounts of files against like complaints against her and all this kind of stuff and nothing was ever resolved or helped or anything like that but i was kind of at my at my last wit whenever she leveraged her relationship again with jeff to get me written up and the situation basically was i was very early on in the job probably about six months in it was my first time in that industry so i was very much still learning i threw an event and at the event, the chef was a little bit late and the chef also had locks. And when the chef came in with locks, basically the salesperson who was in the room said that he was unprofessional. He showed up late and he was dressed sloppy and, and X, Y, Z. And then they were like, you know, and also I forgot to take the balloons down after the event was over. And so when I came in, I, I got this write-up and I was so blindsided by this write-up because I was like, 
You've never even given me a verbal. You've never even expressed to me that there was anything about my performance that I needed to improve on. You never even directly came to me and said, hey, what happened here? Because this was a miss. You just wrote me up, which is very, if you've ever worked in corporate America, that's very odd to go straight there. So I was just like, this has Karen written all over it. And everything that he said in the meeting was, well, Karen said this, well, Karen said this, well, Karen said this. And when I would combat back with actual fact and what happened and things that I could prove and back up, he would just be like, I would be like, well, can you explain? Because, you know, X, Y, Z. And it would just be, oh, well, you know, Karen said. So obviously I'm like, okay, Karen's all over this and she has a problem with me. And I, for the life of me, can't know why, except for the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm not underneath, underneath her and like playing into that girl gossipy game or whatever. Um, and it continued on like that for a while. Like I said, I went to HR. HR basically said, you know, for her to cut it out and that she had a history of having a problem. I said, I felt like it was racially motivated. They said, that's definitely not the case. I said, cool. Um, then it just needs to be fixed on a personal level. And she brought me into her office. She said that, I used a lot of big words that she didn't understand and that I was intimidating to her and X, Y, Z and that she would work on it and that she, you know, was try was going to do better. And I was like, cool, water under the bridge. Like I really, because I don't care about you and I, tr and I truly didn't, I was like, because I don't care about you, it, it doesn't have to hold a space. I'm not angry about it or still frustrated. Like you cut it out, then we're cool. Obviously, she didn't cut it out and her behavior just kind of stagnated for a little while and then reappeared the next time it had the availability to reappear. So all of this, and like I said, she had multiple complaints against her and then she gets an interim promotion. In her interim promotion, she she takes Jeff's spot. So now Karen is it, like temporarily my boss and all this time the harassment hasn't stopped and I'm missing deadlines, I'm frustrated, my self-esteem is truly taking a hit because as confident as I am and as you know, well-versed in my expertise as I am, I feel like a person can only take so much. We're all human. Uh, I'm tough, but I'm, I'm still a human. I still have feelings, emotions, and reactions to certain things. So basically, I got to a point where I was just like, my work performance, like I had been saying to HR, was starting to suffer even more. And it was apparent because I'm, I was very well equipped to do the job. I was one of the people who they would always bring into focus groups and fly out to our corporate office and all the things, right? I had all those great things going for me, but for some reason my performance was lacking and I basically was saying it's lacking because I'm being harassed and I feel like I can't get anything done or focus or do anything without having a problem. So anyways, she's now my interim boss. She's been basically rewarded for uh, all of her bad behavior, which reinforces it. And while she was my interim boss, she asked me to do something that was in direct contradiction with what I had uh, established with my former VP. So I was like, well, I'm in the middle of doing this. I'm literally coming up on the end of this project. So I don't feel comfortable switching gears now. If this is something that you want to set as a determinant down the line, I'm happy to do that. But 
if I do it now, like it, it's just gonna it's just gonna throw off my schedule because this is something that we do, you know, think annually or quarterly or whatever. I was basically just saying like I can't change work stream now, but if you want to set that as a future agenda, then that's fine. From there, she calls me and we have a conversation and I'm basically just saying, you know, you asked me um, in another meeting how you could support me and I really do feel like it, it would be supportive of you to let allow me this time instead of pigeonholing me into this meeting or making me attend this thing because I was like, I'm, I'm really trying to get this done. I'm already kind of frustrated and all over the place. I'm like, you always ask how you can support me. I never really, you know, give you anything specific, but this would be a great way to give me the time to support me and make it make me um, help make me capable to do my job. She's like, well, what I really feel like is you're not supporting me because if you were supporting me and it was this antagonistic type of back and forth. And I was like, you know what? Like, I I'm going to do what I have to do in order to reach my corporate agenda, because the way that it was explained to me on the hierarchical system of where my priorities go, it's corporate management and then sales team. And so I'm just going to stick to what I know is the official system. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry we couldn't come to a better, you know, kind of agreement. So from there, like I said, she's interim. So she calls me into her office. She also brings in a person who is uh, on the same level as me. And this is odd because this is she's she's basically trying to reprimand me. And anybody who's ever been reprimanded knows that, you know, you pull in someone senior or an HR professional, you don't bring in someone's coworker who's on the same level as them and have some type of meeting. But she did that because this guy, we'll call him uh, Christopher. Christopher was a jellyfish. He's spineless. He was a suck up. He wasn't that great at his job. These aren't things that I'm saying to like berate him. It's just characteristics that he had. And so because he had these characteristics, she knew that she could bring him into the meeting and mold him into whatever she wanted him to be um, in order to get her agenda across. So she just starts going in. I'm looking her dead in the eyes. She doesn't look me in the eyes, not once. And she gets through with her whole thing. She's like, this is, you know, a verbal reprimand. It's da 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 And I basically just deconstructed her argument, you know, as calmly as I could. And I was like, and also, I don't understand why you presented my uh, bonus paperwork in front of another coworker. I feel like that was kind of odd and it made me feel uncomfortable. I'm concerned that you gave me my bonus paperwork right before a reprimand. I felt like that was odd and uncomfortable. And then also it feels odd and uncomfortable that you're even reprimanding me because X, Y, Z. So basically I said, all of this feels off, which it did. My intuition was just like, this is, this is off. So I said, I would appreciate it if we brought, you know, someone formal in, if we talked to HR, because this, this isn't, I don't feel like this is right. I don't want to be held responsible for something that I don't feel like I, I did. Um, or whatever she was saying, you know, insubordination, just like insubordination just means that I won't do what you told me to do. But like, like I said, it's just, okay, fine. I didn't do what you told me to do. That's fine. I did what I thought was best for my position and that's fine. You can call it insubordination and that's fair. Um, and just to be fair, because I'm not perfect, I did miss a corporate deadline while I was dealing with all this crap from her. And I also um, had missed my first deadline when I first, first started at the company. So this was my second time missing one and I had been in the company for like 
three and a half years. So basically, I we brought in HR. We were sitting in the meeting. And I very, this is the thing about me. When I'm angry and I'm in a work environment and I'm frustrated, I get very, very, very calm. Because I like to get my point across. I like to do it effectively and succinctly. And if I'm really upset, I know that it takes me talking slowly in order to get across what I'm trying to get across. So that's what I do. I talk very succinctly, very slowly. I say exactly what I mean. And because I have right on my side, she gets very frustrated. She gets very angry. And basically the HR person was like, well, where's the written, where's the written write-up? And I was like, well, she told me it was a verbal. She told me it was a verbal reprimand. And the HR lady was like, you still have to have it written and documented. There's no such thing as just a strictly verbal reprimand. And I said, well, I didn't know that. I said, if it's not official and it's not, you know, a documented ding against my performance, then I feel like we don't really, we don't really need to have this meeting. But it is odd to me that I was told that this was a verbal reprimand. And now you're telling me that that's not the case. All the while, Karen is getting more and more irritated. She's looking at her phone. She's ignoring both the, both me and the HR lady. She's yelling and talking over me. And I told her, don't yell at me. The HR lady did nothing to advocate for me. She just sat there and watched her yell. Um, and then eventually she got so frustrated that she stood up, um, left, and slammed the door in the middle of the meeting. <clears throat> so I was just like, I turned to... Uh, the HR lady and I was just like does that feel resolved to you like why why does it have to be like that like I'm literally just trying to get my job done do so efficiently and work through whatever this issue is like because at the end of the day I'm just trying to come to work too but I'm also not going to lay down and be steamrolled over so long story short two or three days later I was fired I feel like that's a really important story to tell because it is echoed through not only my career it's not the only time something like that has happened to me but it's also echoed through a lot of my girlfriend's experiences a lot of black women experience the same kind of treatment and very frequently it comes from white women in the work environment and because leadership is still predominantly white and whenever you do have some people pop up, they're usually women, um, white women, but they usually subscribe to the patriarchal structure, which is how they get to where they are. So when they get there, they do what the slave owners' wives used to do, which is they leverage their relationships, all of the, you know, feet that they've kissed and rings that they've kissed, and they say, hey, this person is a problem. And once you're identified as a problem, they just harass and make it so that you get a lashing. My lashing was a write-up. And then my second lashing was her trying to write me up. That was what it was. And it's so frustrating to me because I feel like you never, ever did me the courtesy of what I did to you, which is talk directly to you and try to problem solve and resolve. Um, and it was just one of those situations where I was like, really, I'm, I'm being fired for this. They were like, oh, well, you missed this deadline. You know, you've been with us for a couple of years, but we're letting you go. And I'm at that point because I don't have any strong connection to any job. Jobs are just jobs. It takes a little bit of a hit. Definitely 
um, on your self-esteem, but it was more of a hit on my self-esteem being in that environment than it was being fired. So when I was fired, I was just kind of like, okay, <laughs> fine. And I walked out and I'm, I kid you not, the, not the HR lady that we spoke to, cause that was our local person, but we'll call her Sophia. Sophia is the person who's over the entirety of HR for the entire company. Sophia treated me like I was an animal who was about to go off. She followed me uh, around and ran up to me um, as if I was about to, like when I turned a corner, she like ran and was literally on, like ran me over because she thought that I, I don't know what she thought I was going to do, but she was just very like, I, it, when you're, when you're being let go, the HR person doesn't necessarily like leave you alone anywhere. Like I get it, you may do something or whatever, but her treatment of me was very like, like she's gonna go off, she's gonna go off. She literally stood her body between the hallway and Shonda's office as if I was gonna beeline to do something or say something to that person, to Karen. So it was so, it was so odd to me and I felt so like, for lack of better words, dehumanized because I don't think that I really deserved that. Um, I had never shown any, like of all the stuff that I went through, all the things that Karen did to me, if I had done any of those things to her, I wouldn't still be there. I was completely professional and kind, as kind as I could be. I never raised my voice. I don't raise my voice at work because I don't feel like it's necessary. I can deconstruct anybody um, with any argument and I don't have to do so. Please excuse my very rude co-host, Judge Ellis Lewis. He will continue to be a nuisance, I'm sure. Um, but I don't have to do so by yelling. I can just say what I mean. And usually, you know, I get my point across. So I say all that to say this system, this issue that not only I have, but a lot of black people and specifically black women have, that is the system that companies are currently trying to deconstruct large corporations that are trying to make work and are hiring all these diversity and inclusion specialists and compensation analysts to make sure that everybody is paid properly and all these different things. All these big companies are trying to address that issue where people who are in positions of power, which are predominantly white people, white women and white men, mostly white men, are predatory of and, and very aggressive towards their uh, employees. And when that happens, and because the employee pool looks like it looks, it is problematic for so many different reasons. The point of this story wasn't just to be like, wham, wham, I got fired. The point of this story was for me to explain to you that as I transitioned from that job, I was like, okay, let me take my time. I had a year sabbatical, COVID had hit, and I was like, okay, let's just take my time, do my thing and figure it out as I go. And that's when I started Honest Hive and that's when I started you know, the concept for free game and a couple other business ventures that I wanted to move into. And when I did that, I was very structured. I would wake up at a certain time, I would do yoga, I would go to my computer, I would work, I would, I would do all of the things as if I was in a regular nine to five job. But what I found that I was doing to myself was the same kind of treat, like in my head, I was saying the same kinds of things that had been said to me by previous boss bosses. I was saying, you know, you have to work extra time. Like 
you, you don't deserve to rest when you're laying down. That's a problem. I would say things like that wasn't good enough that, you know, you should have done this and oh, second guessing myself on every single thing and this wasn't right and nitpicking myself. And then I realized that I hadn't unwound that experience from my psyche yet. And so because I hadn't unwound that experience from my psyche, I was taking what was done to me and literally as my own employee doing it to myself. And I thought to myself, if I don't undo this work trauma, as I move into the next phase of my life, I will repeat the cycle of what's been done to me. And I did not feel comfortable with that. I feel like my self-esteem had taken such a hit and my my life had been, I, I squished myself down so hard into a shape that would fit in corporate America that when I came out of it, I was mangled and I didn't have any real structure around me. Like the core of me never changes. I'm everyone on a personal level who knows me knows that when it comes to me being me, it's pretty consistent. But a lot of things had just been shuffled around, moved, adjusted, squished. It happens to everybody. Um, Melissa Harris Perry actually calls it standing uh it's basically the ability to stand straight in a in a crooked room but basically black women will feel like you know will be at a slant and think that it's straight up because we're standing in a crooked room and it takes a very you know thoughtful conscientious and um conscious person to stand straight in a crooked room i say that because i was probably at like a 45 degree angle. I was standing completely slanted and and so not in line with who I really am. I realized that that was something that I had a responsibility to myself and to my future self and to whatever I grow into. I had a responsibility to regain my confidence, reconstruct myself and become a better version and be this is going to sound so corny, but basically be the change that I wanted to see in the world. I wanted to be the kind of boss and the kind of leader that makes their employees feel like they're moving towards a direction that is powerful, important, and they feel respected. And I, it starts, though, with me. If I don't respect myself, respect my rest, respect my time, respect my input, I'm going to take those same points of frustration and how I talk to myself and I'm going to put those on other people and that's how we end up with toxicity in the workplace. This channel and this podcast is for entrepreneurs and it's for people who are starting something new, a small business, trying to grow, trying to establish themselves. Maybe they're still in ideation, but I want to make it very clear that if you don't do the personal work to undo the work trauma that a lot of us have experienced, whether you're in corporate America, whether you're in retail, whether you work for a nonprofit, if you don't actively do the work to deconstruct that work trauma psyche, you will repeat it the same way that cycles of abuse and everything else repeat because you're on autopilot. And that's the way that we've been taught to move through life. We adjust, we adjust, we're agile creatures. We adjust, we adjust. But there are some things that aren't worth adjusting for. It's a great adjustment if, and this is how I decide for myself, it is an A1 
constructive criticism adjustment if a person is saying, hey, I think you can do XYZ better to be a better you. I accept that kind of feedback all day. What I will not accept is, hey, you know what would be easier for everybody around you if you did XYZ? I don't change me to make me more palatable to your preference. That's not something that I'm willing to do. That's not something that I'm willing to compromise. And so I feel like it was a lot of work to get to that point, but it was worth it. And I'm still not there. I'm on a journey. I'm getting there. Um, But it's something that I feel like a lot of people have probably experienced. And if you're trying to get into the next phase of your life, you have to undo. And the same companies who are treating their employees the way that I'm being treated or have been treated and the way that a lot of my friends have been treated is are the same companies that are making blackface turtlenecks and monkey t-shirts or so they're on the side of like outrage marketing like you can't you can't tell me that those things are accidental as a person who was previously in marketing i know that clicks are clicks i know that traffic is traffic and i know that anything that increases profits is positive and so if you're looking at something like a blackface turtleneck Uh, And I won't even mention the brands that do it because they're not worth me mentioning. But when you see something like a blackface turtleneck, it's intentional. It's to get you outraged. When you see a black boy in a monkey t-shirt, it is intentional. It's to get you outraged. Why? Because then you share it and you say, isn't this fucked up? They did X, Y, Z. I so have a problem with it. This is such an issue. And then somebody else shares it. And they're like, people are out here doing this for real. And then somebody else shares it. But what are you sharing? You're sharing their content. You're sharing their name. You're sharing their brand. They'll come out with some half-assed apology. And as forgiving a nature as, as we are, and because nobody really cares about black feelings anyways, it'll be expected that the apology is respected. And they'll be back to square one. They got all their their clicks and, and free promotion and earned media and they're back they're they're back to doing their thing. And in a couple of years they'll do the same thing again because it works. So that's one side of the coin, right? The other side of the coin are those people who are like, mm, we don't really care about black people either, but we do kind of need their money. Like they're a core piece of our business. Companies like this, there's major shoe brands and a lot of athletic brands that do this. Companies like that basically are predatory of the black experience. And they use that predatory method to capture black dollars all while making no impactful change in the black community and and not really throwing their weight and their ability behind anything meaningful. Everything is either white guilt alleviating itself like comforting itself or it's literally people saying hey we need to protect this segment of our business the segment of our profits this is how we do it none of it is good intentioned none of it is from the heart and they'll send you out these emotional messages these these powerful and moving marketing pieces and it's not true They're treating their employees the same way that these other companies are treating their employees, the same way that the companies who keep quiet are treating their employees. And they may give like a donation to some organization, the NAACP or whatever, but it is literally just a performative gesture to say, hey, we want to make it look like we care so that we can keep 
getting your money. And it's problematic. It's something that I really want to undo. And I feel like the only way that we can undo it, the only way we can raise the idea of accountability and raise the standards of how we interact with brands is to be conscious consumers and conscious buyers. But more than that, more than just those things, but those things are, if you can do that, you're already on a really great track. But more than that, more than those things, if we are in a space where we feel called to be a a business owner or we feel called to build something bigger than ourselves, a group, an organization, whatever, we have to, we owe it to ourselves to build something, I say this all the time, build something better than what we've experienced previously. That is the intention to build something that deconstructs the hierarchical system. And I've been in organizations with a flat organization structure. That really doesn't work. Everybody can't have like, somebody has to have final say in, in a, and you know delineated roles. But I will say that it is meaningful to assign value, respect, and validity to every single role in an organization. It's It means something to treat people with respect. And when you start doing that and you start respecting yourself, the things about you that are different, instead of squishing yourself down into this squishy, squishy thing that makes things easier for other people, when you start standing straight in that crooked room, you start respecting all of the other people who are given life at a slant. You start respecting the LGBTQ community Uh, a little bit more. You start respecting differently abled people a little bit more. You start respecting non-neurotypical people a little bit more. And maybe not even respecting is the right word, but you start including them. You start centralizing them because you respect and love and appreciate those differences because it's 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 a change that's happening inside of you where you're embracing the fullness of yourself and the things that are not typical about you. And so you see other people and you appreciate them for doing the same. Or you want to help them get to a place where they do appreciate themselves uh, the same. So I really do think that this is something that is critical for the black community. I feel like the black community is a catch-all. I feel like we take in the reason we may joke like, hey, stop inviting people to the cookout, whatever, whatever. But that idea comes from a very powerful place. When someone is oppressed, ostracized, outlawed, it's usually the black community that catches them. It's not because we are better inherently than anyone else, but it's because of our position. When you are oppressed, it is easier for you to spot oppression. And if you are a good-hearted person who spots oppression and you see someone else being oppressed for any other reason, you make the adjustment to say, you know what, that's a problem. I'm not gonna let that stand, I'm not gonna allow that. And that is how we get to the place where business is from the heart where business has a soul and has accountability. It starts in ideation. It starts with the entrepreneur. It starts as a small business. These huge corporations that are trying to turn the corner, I gave you two really great examples. They're performative or they're outrage. 
marketing tactics, they're not sincere. It's not something that you can do while still leaning on capitalism, while still leaning on white supremacy and and playing into that myth, while still leaning into the patriarchal structure, while still not giving equal opportunity to people um, of different sexual preference. It's, It's not, you show me, and this is how America has always been, follow the money. You show me what you care about based on what, where your finances go, where your money goes. That's how you show me what matters. And so I'm not talking about a one-time donation because a one-time donation is a tax write-off. It's nothing. I'm talking about in the day-to-day of your organization, who you're giving the big bucks to, who you're paying, who you're listening to, who's in your C-suite, who has authority, who has influence. What do those people look like? It's a real question. It's a real question. Nothing else, nothing else matters. All of these things that are done, like I said, are performative. Or it's massaging white guilt. It's white guilt comforting itself. It's not for us. And the things, it's just like Joe Biden uh, making Juneteenth a national holiday while, and forgive me, you know, look it up yourself, don't quote me, but nearly tripling the police budget when we're asking for police reform, there are three very, very simple and individual ideas out there. Defund, demilitarize, or dismantle the police. One of the three Ds. He tripled or doubled the police budget. It, you're not for us. You're not with us. It's, everything is performative. And it's not that we can't be, I'm excited that Juneteenth is a national holiday. It's not that you can't be excited, but it's that you recognize that that's not the battle we're fighting. You want to do that and that's something you feel like is important? Cool. That's not the battle I'm fighting. I'm fighting for real, sustainable, actionable change. And I'm telling you, the more we can gather conscious consumers and pair them with conscious businesses, the better we can be as a people. I think that we all wanna be conscious consumers. I really do. I think that nobody feels good about giving their money to billionaires and trillionaires who don't care about you, who don't know you, and we all would prefer to give our money to our own community. That's why I feel like the black community is building the way that they do. I think that's why everybody's obsessed with uh, black Wall Street. It's because we want that type of structure. We want that type of ability to consume consciously and, and with purpose. We want that. We really do. It's difficult in this country. And when, we f- and when marketing practices are deceptive and there's no accountability, there's no system that says, hey, this marketing message is actually implemented in the culture. There's no stamp of approval for marketing. They just get to say what they want. And as long as it's not too outlandish or crazy, they will not get charged with false advertising. They won't. So I feel like it's really important to make that distinction. I feel like it's really important to embrace the differences that exist within us. I think it's really important to embrace the differences that exist within us and stand firm in them and then also start to identify them in other groups so that we can, again, another cliche, but build as we climb because we are not behind. 
I've said this before, we're not behind, but we are building. We are in a building stage as a people and it's okay. It's something that I feel like, okay, we have the, we have the roadmap of exactly what not to do. There's some wins in there. There's some things like, okay, we can do this. We can do this. But the core, the essence of what we're trying to build is new. It's creation. And so I think it's really important to be super, super conscious of why we're doing what we're doing and how self-betterment and self-improvement can really take the things that we're trying to do purposefully with our business to the next level. Becoming an entrepreneur, making a business, it's just another phase of life. It has to be tied into spiritual growth and progress the same way everything else is. If you go into motherhood with the same spirit as you had in singlehood, if you go into motherhood with the same, I'm sorry, if you go into a marriage with the same spirit and you never grow outside of that, those relationships are doomed to fail or they'll, they may last, but they'll never be as fruitful and as beautiful and as vibrant as they should be. And while I completely believe that black people will get to a place where they have an equal share, if not above an equal share of business and financial stake in this country or somewhere else otherwise, by any means necessary, I do believe we'll get to that place. But it's just a question of how fruitful, how beautiful, how different and how vibrant that's gonna look for us. And that all depends on the journey that each one of us takes right now. I'm just looking into the future and I'm just seeing so many possibilities. But the introspection, the introspection has to be there. The personal growth has to come. And sometimes, even at 31, I feel like a kid. I feel like a kid because I have such ideological, like utopian ideas. I still feel like a kid inside. But the truth is, I'm 31. It's it's go time. I'm I am the adult in the room. It is time to make an impact and stake whatever my existence in this world is going to be, whatever I'm going to leave behind. It's trying to start building that consciously. And so The same way that I'm saying this is not a sermon, this is not a message to anyone more than it is to myself, that's the truth. This is not a message that I feel like other people may need to hear. It's a message that I need to hear. And if I need to hear it, I know I can't be alone. That ding means it is time for me to give my inspiration for the podcast Definitely love, respect, and honor goes out to the ancestor, Toni Morrison. Her book, The Bluest Eye, which I've read twice, I think, showed me the detrimental effect of not loving yourself. And when I identified that detrimental effect, albeit personified in that book as a physical manifestation, when I saw that represented in that novel and applied it to who I am inside and how difficult it becomes to love yourself when throughout your life you're basically told that you're unlovable and that something about you is not to be loved, admired, or appreciated. Standing straight in who you are becomes difficult, but if you make the adjustment to be somebody that you're not, 
that's where true madness comes from. So love, respect, and honor to Toni Morrison for the bluest eye and for every, every bit of powerful work that she's done throughout her career. We miss you and we love you. I am going to end the podcast today with a special announcement in place of questions because due to my sabbatical, I don't have any questions queued up, but I will say if you do have questions, comments, concerns, or anything of that nature, please reach out to me on social media, or you can send me an email at hihi at honesthivemarketing.com. I monitor that email and I also check all my messages and I'm happy to answer any questions you have, good, bad, or ugly on um, those platforms or any way that you are able to give them to me. I am going to do a special announcement for anyone who follows me on social media, you know that I did a little gift card giveaway, $150 to celebrate my one year anniversary for Honest Hive, my marketing consultancy. That is my baby. I am so excited to have gotten that off the ground. I'm so excited to be a year in all my clients, everyone who followed me, everyone who gave me encouragement, everyone who gave me advice. I cannot, cannot, cannot thank you enough. It's a passion project. I, it's one of those things kind of like this podcast. I don't care if it gets like three, three views or 900 listens or like two listens. It just matters to me that it touches somebody. And working with my clients, I feel like that's exactly what I've done and want to continue to do and appreciate and feel valuable um, to the world in doing. So thank you to everyone who supported me. I did the $150 raffle giveaway to extend my gratitude to everyone who, you know, is fucking with me on that level. And I do want to announce the winner. It's so funny because the winner is actually the person who followed up and was like, when are you going to announce? <laughs> Congratulations to Alex Graham. Miss Alex Graham, you are the winner of the $150 gift card. It's a Visa gift card. You can spend it wherever cash and Visa is accepted. I'm so happy to be able to give this to you as a small token, uh, a small thank you for sharing and following me on social media and continuing to pour into my business. You are awesome. I appreciate you. She's actually probably one of the fans who shares and does the most. So it's good that the raffle uh, came out in her favor. I'm, I'm grateful and glad for that. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being present with me. Thank you so much for valuing anything or everything that I've said and any feedback, any commentary, anything that felt off to you, please give me feedback. I love to hear from anyone who's listening because I feel like this is like a collaborative conversation on my sofa. I'm just here like dumping my brain into this microphone. But if there's a better way to do it, if someone is offended or if someone has like a constructive piece of criticism, I talked about how not malleable I am to not constructive criticism, but if anybody has constructive criticism or insight, I would absolutely love to hear it. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you all next month.